2: November 26, 2003, the eve of Thanksgiving. Greg Peters loved working at the Odd Corner. The 50-year-old's tie-dyed shirts and long hair gave him away as a hippie through and through. And the head shop wasn't just a paycheck. The Odd Corner was a gathering spot for like-minded souls of a mellow nature. Even so, people occasionally warned Greg to take care and not forget that he worked alone in a largely cash business. Greg, whose heart was as stout as his body, dismissed such concerns. Only good people come in here, he said. And until November of 2003, that was true. The landmark store had been a feature on East Exchange Street, on the fringe of downtown Akron, for 30 years, and police could not recall ever being called out there. The people who came to the Odd Corner came for rolling papers, counterculture magazines, blacklight posters, and they often lingered to chat about music in the good old days of rock and roll. Surrounded as it was by the University of Akron, the Odd Corner drew a fair share of curious college students. A couple of them stopped in just after 8 p.m. They were looking over the selection of belly button rings when a third man came in the back door. A bandana covered the lower half of his face, and at the end of his extended arm, he held a gun. The students dashed for the front door, hearing gunshots behind them as they crossed the threshold and escaped into the night. They quickly spotted a police officer working on the campus, and they directed him to the odd corner. But their speed didn't matter. Police were on the scene within minutes, but it was still too late for Greg. From Ohio Mysteries, the Akron Beacon Journal and BeaconJournal.com, this is Unresolved. A look at the unsolved murders and disappearances from the greater Akron area. I'm Paula Schleiss, co-host of Ohio Mysteries, and helping with this ongoing series, which is covered in this podcast, as well as stories in print and online, Our Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith and my podcast co-host, Steve Yoder. Now, Unresolved, Episode 17. Greg Peters. Greg Peters was born in Moundsville, West Virginia, a small town nestled in the state's northern panhandle. But that was an accident. He decided to enter the world while his parents, Irene and Richard, were visiting relatives. His family actually lived in Akron. Greg graduated from Garfield High School in 1971, and to be honest, he never outgrew that psychedelic era. More than 30 years later, his face was still framed by his beard and long hair. He smoked pot, played guitar, always had his nose in a book, and preached peace and love. He considered everyone his brother. Greg was a simple man. He didn't have a credit card. He didn't own a car. He always sought out jobs within walking distance of where he lived. That was on Rankin Avenue, in the longtime family home that he shared with a new girlfriend, Lori. His wardrobe came from the thrift store, Jeans and tie-dyed shirts, moccasins, and other Indian fashions. He had an uncle by marriage who was Native American, and Greg had grown a fondness for their culture and way of life. Greg also had a younger sister, Renee Keene, who lived in North Carolina. At a memorial for Greg in 2003, Renee said her brother didn't have any children, but he sure loved them. He was a father figure to his nephew, Brandon, to his younger cousins, to the children of his friends. He also liked to volunteer at charity events, especially those serving the disabled, like the Special Olympics. Renee said he was very easygoing, affectionate, and enjoyed taking care of people. He was a good listener and always had a big shoulder to cry on. Six years earlier, When Renee was recuperating at home from a surgery, Greg showed up to take care of her. She said, He waited on me hand and foot until I was well. Greg also collected comic books. Spider-Man and Green Lantern were favorites. And he kept and cared for many toys from his childhood. He didn't like throwing anything away, said Greg's friend, Jacob DeGene. Craig had studied graphic arts and attended a technical trade school for printing. He'd worked as a printer for Akron General Medical Center and the Summit County Department of Human Services. But his dream job was when he landed a few shifts a week at the odd corner, where he had been a longtime customer. John Kruger, the store's manager, would later tell an Akron Beacon Journal reporter, this place attracts people from all walks of life. And he loved people. He was happy here. His laid-back style fit right in. (music) Terry Buell was another friend of Greg's. We caught up with Terry recently. He's 67 years old now, and every bit the hippie that his old buddy was. As we spent time with him, we couldn't help but wonder if this is what it would have been like to hang out with Greg. On the walls of Terry's home are old music posters, Janis Joplin and Pink Floyd, and a campaign flyer that sought to decriminalize marijuana a couple of decades ago. He's got one of those old bulky TVs. It doesn't get a signal. It's attached to a VCR so he can watch old concert tapes. He mentions a live show that he taped of Bob Marley and the Wailers. Terry usually worked with Greg on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and he loved it there for the same reason Greg did.
3: Most people came in there wearing the music and, you know, and, like a little coffee shop without a coffee. <laughs>
2: Here's a little exchange between Terry, Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith, and me. Oh, and Obie. That's Terry's very vocal dog in the background. Since the pup insisted on being part of the interview, I figured I'd introduce him. He's a white pit bull named after Officer Obie from the Arlo Guthrie song Alice's Restaurant.
0: So what was he like? Tell us about Greg.
2: Very
3: long-haired like me. He had hair longer than me. (laughs) Uh, Very outgoing, loved everybody. He didn't have any enemies, if that's what you mean. Did a lot
2: of people know him by name when they came in?
3: Yeah, everybody knew everybody in there by name. Hey Terry, hey Greg, hey John.
0: <laughs> and did he? Uh, you were talking about not having any. Did he ever rub anybody the wrong way, or he generally got Never. along with everybody?
3: We didn't rub anybody the wrong way there. If you didn't like being mellow, you can go away. <laughs> Most people got that. There wasn't any trouble down there
0: was this a fun place to work
3: yeah i enjoyed it i'd even get paid for it i go on wednesday nights and work saturdays and
2: fun so terry was supposed to work that wednesday with greg but he didn't the shop's manager john kruger had gone out of town for the holiday and terry agreed to watch his house and his dogs for him That's where Terry and his wife were that night, at the house in Kent. And that's where Terry got the phone call from Akron police saying Greg had been shot.
3: Yeah, my wife answered it. He's going, oh my God, we got a problem at the odd corner. Greg has been shot, there's a robbery. So we (laughs) directly headed down there what was your reaction when you heard that? I should have been there. That haunts people.
2: According to the two customers who had been browsing the store at the time of the incident, it all happened very quickly. Here's Akron Detective Jim Pasilich.
1: Greg's in the eye corner. Akron got a uh, soccer game going on. Um, there's a couple kids in the store, college kids. Um, the individual comes in from the back door. The uh, two kids are kind of you know, shopping around. One's looking for a, sh- a belly button ring, and he's looking for some screens or something. They see the guy come in. He's got like a uh, uh, handkerchief or something across his face. He pulls out a gun. Um, they beat feet out the front door. As they're going out the front door, they hear a shot or two. They continue running. Um, and they I think there's either a policeman working across the street or they get the policeman up at Lee Jackson Field at Akron U. Tell them, hey, just what happened. They go down there and find Greg had been shot behind the front counter that he worked there.
2: It went down around 8 p.m., The customers who fled said they hadn't heard a single word exchanged. There was a broken ashtray on the floor of the crime scene, and Terry wonders if Greg had thrown it. In Terry's mind, he can imagine Greg saw the armed thief, instinctively pitched an ashtray at him, and was instantly shot in the chest. There were witnesses that night in addition to the two customers. A man waiting for a bus at the front of the store said he saw the shooting happen through the store's window. Another man, who worked across the street at a McDonald's, said he saw a car with two men speed away from the back of the store right after the shooting. The statement from the McDonald's employee suggested that there might have been a getaway driver, but police say they don't know enough to say for sure the two men were involved. After the shooting, the man who got to Greg first was someone who lived in the building, a tenant from the second floor apartment. He heard the commotion, ran downstairs and found Greg in a pool of his own blood. First responders were on the scene quickly and an ambulance took Greg to Akron City Hospital. He was pronounced dead on arrival at 8:20 p.m. Meanwhile, Back at the odd corner, the investigation was underway. But it went nowhere fast. Detective Pasilich said there wasn't any physical evidence to help, no DNA that might be matched to a suspect, no fingerprints to dust, not even surveillance videos that might offer a clue. There's
1: a video camera in there, but it wasn't recording. As they do the investigations, they learn that that's not necessarily an unusual thing, that they didn't always record all the times they were going
2: And on. the motive was a bit tentative. Yeah, it seemed likely it was robbery, but nothing was taken. And according to the customers who had been present, nothing was demanded.
1: Can't say that it wasn't going to be a robbery to begin with, but um, you know whether the kids scared him or the other people scared him, You would think you know that going in, you would see them, so I don't know why you'd be scared, but there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of talking or anything going on ahead of time. Nothing that appears to be taken. But again, there's no video, so you can't tell for sure.
2: Immediately, the store's owner, Harry Jackson, posted a $20,000 reward for information in the case.
3: I had the posters printed up three days after it happened. Because he put up the money. We put them, I had a thousand printed up. We had them all over Akron.
0: Okay. Do you put them up around the campus? or
3: Camp, everywhere. Okay. We had quite a few people helping out to do that.
2: But nobody was forthcoming. Police say they've never had a solid lead in the case, though it's a case they've never forgotten. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the murder, but the reward poster is still tacked to an information board at the station, a daily reminder that this case is not closed. In 2013, on the 10th anniversary of her brother's death, Renee Keane revealed how devastating it has been. For years to go by, with no one coming forward. I'm mad, she said, I'm sad, I'm pissed, because I know somebody knows something. A few years after the shooting, the odd corner was moved down the road so the building could be raised to make way for a new University of Akron Stadium. The store lasted several more years before closing permanently. If you have any information that could help solve this case, please call Detective Jim Pasilich of the Akron Police Department at 330-375-2490. That's it for this month's edition of Unresolved, a collaborative podcast between Ohio Mysteries and and the Accra Beacon Journal.